love having great advertisers support our show, but in order to keep doing that, we need your help. So please go to podsurvey.com slash watch and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you a little bit better. That way we can show advertisers just how great our listeners are. And even if you've taken our show's podcast listener survey before, the current one, it's new and different. So I'd really love for you to take it all over again if you can. Plus, once you've completed your survey, you can enter to win a $100 Amazon gift card, which is not bad. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash watch. P-O-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y dot com slash watch. W-A-T-C-H. Thank you for your help, listeners. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, but really in his mind, overlooking the Pacific Ocean from his mid-century modern mansion, it's Andy Greenwald! Uh, what I'm happy about on this, by the way, happy President's Day. Hey man, happy President's Day. Uh, what I'm happy about is <laughs> you finally saw me the way I've wanted to be seen. Yes. That's actually... Wearing black stretch pants That's as act- Adam Scott caresses you. That's a bearded Adam Scott. That's <laughs> actually how I am every day on this show. Uh, Andy, welcome to The Watch. It's Monday. It's President's Day. Uh, we're going to be talking about Big Little Lies. We're going to talk about the end of The Young Pope. Yes. Crashing. Yeah, girls, maybe? Uh, sure, if you want to. If you yeah. want to throw a little girls in there. Uh, before we get started, Thursday we are doing a Oscars preview podcast. We're going to be mm-hmm. joined by our buddy, Sean Fennessy. If you have questions about the Oscars that you would like us to address on that podcast, hit us up on Twitter, at the Watch Pod is the Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. So you can hit that, and Zach will grab those, and, and we'll have some questions to answer. You still have time to read Zoo Station, which is our Double Down Book Club selection. That's by David Downing, Zoo Station. It's about... Um, a journalist living in Berlin at the sort of precipice of World War II. It's an incredible read. We'll talk about that probably in early March, I yeah, hope. in the next week or two. Yeah. So send in your thoughts, comments, questions, discussion items. Yeah, and I think that's it. So what do you want to talk about first? You want to do Young Pope or you want to yes. do Big Global Eyes? So let's do Young Pope. So Young Pope wrapped up last week, yeah. I believe, so we didn't get a chance to talk about it that, but we caught up. It took us a minute. We yeah. had to go into confessional. We had to work some things through. And, oh, man, was this a great show. This was a great show. Now, Chris, I feel like you and I, we didn't, I don't know if we talked about this uh, publicly, but I think like maybe many who, who embarked on this journey with us, our faith started to flag a little bit. It was tested. We became a little more Pope agnostic midway through the season. Uh, But boy, was our faith rewarded in the long term. I I was kind of like a desoyer with this show. You you ended up dead in a field in Guatemala? (laughs) That's a... but I mean, I think that the weird choice there wasn't breaking his priestly vows of celibacy. It was choosing the wife of the biggest narco in the country yeah, and seriously. I guess their limousine driver of all the gin joints in Honduras. Seriously. Yeah. Like if you're good. I mean, I guess if you're going to go, go big. Yeah. Um, I think that this was a truly remarkable, beautiful, very moving journey. I love this show in a way that I didn't expect to love it at the beginning. Now, you know, I love this show. I came on so hot on this podcast. Basically saying that I had not been happy since the, the, the first Tuesday of November. And then I watched The Young Pope and I felt lifted, a lightness in my soul. Uh, that, was, that was big praise. I did not expect that I would find this show to be as emotionally engaging and rewarding as it became. Because one of the things we talked about when we started talking about Young Pope was uh, how it was completely a specific aesthetic and artistic journey led by Paolo Sorrentino. And it was okay to laugh because it was very funny. It was over the top at times. What we didn't know, because we didn't know the end of the journey when we started it, was how he really felt about these characters. 
was he commenting on them too? Was this all a bit of a, a you know, was it in a sense uh, a performance commenting on people who are devout or people who find themselves in these situations in life like like Lenny Bellardo did? As it turns out, like what I, th- I think Sorrentino, like most great artists, loves his characters. And though the trappings were ornate and often outrageous, this was a story about a boy becoming a man. And it was a story about a guy who was a child and trapped in childhood and then learning to become an adult and let the light in and let the smiles in. And in a very profound way, it was a moving story about people. Uh, I did not expect that. I expect I, I, I still would have admired it aesthetically if it had remained broad. But in fact, it went very deep and cut very true and had these moments of just surreality and beauty that I found deeply affecting. I was a little less enamored with the Freudian stuff in the show than I was with the inner workings of the Vatican and the Voyello stuff, and especially Voyello's deep, deep involvement with Serie A soccer. But Voyello's jersey <laughs> is low-key the greatest thing we're going to see on TV. Also, the guy, the, the, the magistrate who's just like, he's like, why did you do this to me? And he's like, because I'm an Inter fan. That was awesome. <laughs> um, I, yeah, so a little less interested in sort of the daddy issues as much, but I was just fascinated by the Vatican stuff and fascinated by the relationship to God stuff. The thing that I will take away from the show ultimately is what an amazing act of imagination. When you mm-hmm. think about your... And I do think in some ways that for as aesthetically tailored and painterly and um, technically proficient as Sorrentino is, he's trying to get at this feeling of the feeling of like when you're a kid and you're imagining a story. And when you imagine, you know, we talk about world building all the time and you're immersing yourself, but that's the you're at your peak at being able to do that when you're a child because you can just lose yourself inside of a story and you know like we've talked about this before but like when you're playing star wars when you're a kid and you just are developing layer upon layer of narrative for these action figures that you're holding and you know relationships that don't exist in the actual story just like the depth of feeling is something that i felt while watching young pope that this was someone who imagined like well what if i made a show about a young pope and then just went off on this journey that was like an it never it never f- doubled back. It never felt self-conscious about what it was doing. It never, for as all the winking that was done towards the camera, it was never a winking about the actual premise of the show or the seriousness of the content. Or the emotional stakes of the characters. So yes. that we get to this yes. point where the Voyello sister Mary uh, relationship is, is played for laughs. It's funny, the idea of these characters clashing with their, with their um, vestments and sitting in these gardens. But all of a sudden they loved each other and that made sense. And the show respected that. You know, I, I think that if anything, if, if the show had any sins, it was it was it's maximalist. I mean, it's it, there's too much of it. There's yeah, probably I too much show. This is interesting because I wanted to ask you on a, on a we can talk about this in a second. But this idea of these limited series being not limited enough. Yeah. And we've had a couple now where I think strangely, every show seems like it could lose two episodes and be even stronger. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that if you ask any filmmaker um what they wish they had more of they would want more time right they if, that that's one of the reasons why studios like to restrict final cut because directors are going to fall in love with everything and they want to show everything that they've done and they want to they want more and more and more when directors hop to tv very often they do so with things in their contract that say okay you can do more and more and more so i think you could definitely make the case that this could have been eight hours and possibly be a little bit tighter and and, and, you know, I'm thinking about it now. Somewhere in my head, the scene between Lenny and the Prime Minister of Italy is still going on. Yeah. Like, yeah. it did not need to be that long. But I long. actually really liked those debate scenes. That mm. one, 
um, especially the scene about abortion between Cromwell and Law in the beginning of the yes. ninth episode that's just sort of a 10-minute take in this huge room uh, where room. they're talking about the biblical um, precedent for, for, for why abortion should be, whether abortion should be outlawed or not by the church. Yeah, and, and I, I, I think that you sort of have to, when you, when you approach these shows, you sort of have to take the, the bad with the good. And there's just no way you're going to have room for those things um, unless you're going to have to have these indulgent scenes if you're going to have these incredible scenes of beauty. I mean, I, I can't get over the fact that the ninth episode ended with, you know, the publication of his love letters, which is, again, this In is the New Yorker, no less. <laughs> Who is that writer supposed to be? Do you think that that is that supposed to be Seymour Hersh yeah. or something? I don't know. <laughs> Look, I mean, I mean, it didn't follow the rules, so that the, a guy in the Vatican like, told me that, like the Archbishop, yeah, the Archbishop, uh, which is you know the Archbishop sex scandal thing, which is laced in the beginning and it doesn't show up basically until the yeah. eighth episode. That's not how you plot a television show. That didn't make sense, but it led to something kind of powerful. And the ninth episode, just to remind people, ended with a woman who's never identified, but is clearly the woman that he was mm-hmm. in love with in California hearing about reading these love letters or hearing about them and then going out to her family and juggling oranges and reader i wept i don't know why i don't know why she juggled them i don't know what sorrentino was thinking that day i don't know what it meant but there was something so pure and beautiful about that and then the oranges yeah oranges later, come up so much in the show i don't know what they're exactly blessed wanna yeah. you know it, it, it's it, it's just so many things that don't make um uh intellectual sense but make emotional sense which i found uh which I found very powerful. You know, I was trying to think back over the last few years of TV and trying to suggest that maybe there are two lists we should be keeping because there's a list of like the best television series that, that uh, we would identify as television series in the traditional American sense. And it's hard to get better than Mad Men or uh, on the sitcom side, like a Parks and Recreation or something or Breaking Bad, the Americans um, throw in whatever show you're justified, whatever show meant a lot to you in a certain way. But Thanks for throwing me a bone. I there. wanted to look at you. Yeah. I, I, I saw the look you started to give me when I said the Americans. I want this to be an inclusive conversation. I want it to be unlike uh, Pius XIII's church. Um, I think there needs to be a side list of just astonishing experiences. Yeah, like the, the, the shows that we'll look back 10 years from now and be like, wow, like that was an, an astonishing experience, not even necessarily an influential show or a show that changed the way we, we would make shows after that, but shows that are just like little miracles in, in and of themselves. And, and that, that did not follow rules established by TV, but could only have happened on TV. And, and other than The Young Pope, I would put um, Top of the Lake up there. Uh, I, throw, I throw the Nick in there. The Nick, possibly. Yeah, the Nick could deserve to be on or there, in too. some ways, girlfriend experience, but yeah. Um, the other one would be Honorable Woman, a show that we love, the miniseries that we love, where it just, it, it, it's breathtaking in what it can achieve just tonally, emotionally, mm-hmm. aesthetically. Um, but, but just to come back to this again, like Jude Law's performance is, is outrageous and amazing because he's doing something very uh, surfacey, right? Like, I mean, it's, 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 it's a very expressive performance. It's not a understated performance. He's playing a baby in half those scenes, you know, and they're playing off the visuals of him being like this this pampered Renaissance baby. But again, like this was a show about one person and his own psychology and, you know, the rigidity of his sort of punk rock aesthetic at the beginning and how he learns to to let that uh, let that rigidity go. Um, the way that characters, not just uh, Gutierrez, who's just an amazing character, a beautiful performance, yeah. but you know, the, the, the happy, the happy Spanish speaking cardinal who has the one big scene in like episode nine or 10 yeah. about being in a good mood. The guy's the editor of Catholic universe. Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah. Like that guy was there to give that speech. 
and and it was ended up being one of the most profound things for the character in right. the show. That the job is to put people in a good mood. That that counts for a lot. Yeah. I just can't believe that this existed and that it was about religion and it was about reaching higher and that he did Pilates to a Bell and Sebastian song and it all somehow worked for me. Last question we're left with that I want to ask you about is: Do you think there should be more Young Pope? Should there be a second season of this show? Um, I can't imagine w- what the the um, not the stakes because you could come up with any number of real world political mm-hmm. scenarios to impose onto the show. Um, but I can't imagine what the emotional journey for Lenny would be since it's already done this complete arc where he's lost his family, both families, his real family and his um, uh, his surrogate family, yeah. sister Mary, um, Spencer, and he is an adult man at the end who's a, who's who can now be a father yeah, to he's having someone a heart else. attack so the like any adult man <laughs> well but that part too like I, I i'm curious what you thought about that because the way that it happened the first time it clearly is a physical manifestation of loss i didn't strike me as him having a no, real I heart know. attack i was just being no but but i i think you know you could also look at the last moment of the show and be like well that's a wink wink cliffhanger well, i think Sorrentino's it's also just version. sort of like a christ like you know yeah. this a sacrifice happening where he's he's like taking on the sins of the world and or like like a true complicated Catholic uh, saint or hero, or he's just sad that his father Richie Tenenbaum left. Uh, left or maybe left all those American spirits in the kangaroo garden are catching up with him. <laughs> I don't know. Know about that? But it could be all of those things. I, I do not think there should be a second season of of of, of Young Pope. I almost said True Detective, and that's exactly why there shouldn't be a second season mm. of Young Pope because. For these limited series where they leave the door open for a little bit more, I'm sure Paolo Sorrentino would have more to say. I'm sure there are more uh, drive-soundtrack-like keyboard synth tracks you can put over uh, people falling off of the Basilica that would be amazing. There is a Young Pope playlist on Spotify that is It's pretty good, yeah. And I think a shout-out to LeBradford making a huge comeback from Mondo Kim's (laughs) IDM Experimental Rock decks to to HBO. I just think that when you have, it's okay to have these things be complete statements. If you're going to do a limited series, make your full yeah. argument. Don't then go back and be like, we all loved Lenny and we all loved like watching him like parade around, you know, dressed up like a 14th century king. Just, just let it go. It's over. Yeah, I, I, I think so too. I mean, I, as much as I make another show. Make, make a show about that prime minister. Make another show. Yeah, I would love to go. The thing is, though, I would love to go back to this world, but that's the TV part of me talking. Like, it, it, it left me with a feeling that good movies left me with. Yeah, um, right. You don't. You're not ready to leave. Um, okay. So, so, by the way, a worthy belt holder in the end. I'm very happy to report. So here's the issue with the belt right now, and we're not trying to take this too seriously, but like, let's let's just break this down. Young Pope had the belt, so usually what would happen is that any so now that it's over, something else needs to get it. Mm-hmm. Andy and I had sort of thought that Big Little Lies was going to get it, and while I remain very affectionate about that show, which Whoa. we're about to talk about, Andy was not as much. Mm-mm. Now, we can't give it to Legion because Andy worked on Legion, and we can't give it to Taboo because Andy doesn't watch Taboo. So, so I'm the problem here? <laughs> no, I'm just saying that like here's the these are a, a series i mean i'm sure think, do you think in a I, I i think and i you can critique this comment i think legion would probably deserve it and i say this as a fan of what it looks like and the way people are psyched about it but i i, I do agree that it's disqualified yeah I, so w- why don't we say that it's almost like the belt is in escrow somewhere yeah, the, I, I'm not. Someone's got to come snatch it. It right. just doesn't. And personally, like this is this is this is sort of the fun thing about it is that Andy and I can make personal arguments for various shows. Um, like I, you know, pers- like I have not gotten more joy out of watching television this year than I did with the first Good Fight, which wow. aired last night on on CBS. Wow. Joy, yeah, no, just like 
satisfaction. You know what I mean? Like, just utter, like... I heard they swear on that show. They sure do. What's that like? I mean, dude, Delroy Lindo and Christine Baranski are, like... The leads of the show. Yeah, it's crazy. It's such a weird gambit for CBS to, like, Take a spin. This show would probably be a marginal hit on it was CBS. A, kind of a big hit last night anyway. It had 7 million viewers. But they are now taking it away and putting it on a subscription over-the-top internet service that they want you to join. But the people who will be most attracted to a Delroy Lindo, Christine Don't know Christine how to Brent's- start, like, their own computers up. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I, I, was on the, I was on Tony Kornheiser's show last week, and he asked me, I was recommending a show, and he said, is that show actually on TV? Or is it on Netflix? <laughs> he was literally like, because I cannot watch it unless it is on television. Yeah. And this is a media professional. So I worry. I worry about CBS's gambit there, but they have enough money for us not to That's worry. That's great. Anyway, uh, yeah, so I, we're not going to give it out today. Um, although, if we wanted to go, I'm just going to say this here. If we wanted to go to a more fluid belt system... Mm-hmm. Where it can hop around. I think it goes from episode to episode, yeah. If we did, then I would actually argue for sliding it, keeping, on an, keeping it on HBO, but sliding it over a half hour to Girls because uh, last night's episode of Girls, the second of the season, was outstanding, I thought. Um, it hit all the notes of a successful Girls episode and that it, it was crazy funny and actually reached some points in, that, in the um, Marnie Hanna relationship that were, I found very affecting mm-hmm. and very effective too, because they really were, in many ways, the bookmark, uh, uh, not the bookmark, the the end of the chapter that was started with what I thought was the best moment of girls, maybe still to date from the third episode when they just danced to the Robin song in the first season. Oh right? yeah! In that moment, they were very young and they're dancing in their apartment, and and Hannah tweets something about being adventurous. Um, <laughs> But it's not really adventurous. What a world. I know. But it's not adventurous to be dancing to Robin sure. in your apartment. It's just sort of exciting the way being and young and exciting is. Yeah, right. In this episode, all of a sudden, there's blood on the floor. One of them is married to a lunatic. And life has happened. And they've grown up. And in that moment, they say, I don't know. I have no idea what to do or what's happening. And that is a weirdly mature it's defi- Yeah, it's definitely a good episode. Next week, I think, is the best episode, maybe the best episode they've ever done. So we'll obviously talk about it a lot next week. Um and uh, and actually, we have an interview with Lena Dunham coming next week, too, where she talks about it. I'll tell you what. We're going to put up a Twitter poll. And people can vote on who should get the belt. Like, at least we can have a people's champ for a week while we have it in, in oh. this limbo. But I, I agree. Like, the, there's a lot of competition for it right now. Okay. So do you want get, to get into these other topics? Yeah. Before we get on to Big Little Lies, let's just take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Blue Apron. Guess what? Not all ingredients are created equal. Fresh, high-quality ingredients make a real difference. So it's important to know where your food comes from. And thankfully, for less than $10 per person per meal, Blue Apron delivers easy-to-follow recipes with pre-portioned ingredients, courtesy of over 150 local farms, ranches, and fisheries across the United States, and they come right to your door. And because Blue Apron ships the exact amount of ingredient required for a recipe, there's no food waste. It's everything you need to make sustainable, delicious, home-cooked meals in 40 minutes or less. I love Blue Apron. Some of the meals for February include cashew chicken stir-fry with tango mandarins and jasmine rice, udon noodle soup with miso and soft-boiled eggs, and roasted pork with apple, walnut, and farro salad, and crispy barramundi with quinoa and roasted carrot salad. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash the watch. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash the watch. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. 
Also want to say thank you to Jack Threads. When was the last time you ordered clothes online and got to try them on before paying for them? Never, right? Well, that's exactly what jackthreads.com does. You can try on anything at home for free, and you only pay for what you keep. Whether it's a big name brand or the Jack Threads in-house line, you can be sure that you're 100% in love with the items that you order before you spend a cent. I love Jack Threads. I've bought a bomber jacket from them. I've got just like a pair of Vans from them. The tryout program is awesome. I was so impressed. I just decided to keep both things. But if I didn't want to, if the Vans didn't fit, if I didn't like the bomber jacket, I could have said just send it back. You have seven days to decide if it's working for you. Jack Threads gives you everything you need to send things back. Packing tape, prepaid shipping label. Here's what you do. You go to jackthreads.com. You enter promo code BSPN when you submit your tryout for 20% of anything you keep. That's jackthreads.com, code BSPN, to save 20% on anything you keep. Never buy before you try again. Let's hit Big Little Eyes. So, uh, d- adapted by David E. Kelly uh, for from Liam Moriarty's 2014 Australian sort of. No, it's not Australian too, is it? Yeah. Like the slap. <laughs> What's going on in Australia where everyone's hitting and choking the rich kids? <laughs> Australia, relax. Maybe we need to have our president call you again. This is. Uh, you know, Kelly wrote it. Uh, Jean-Marc Vallée, who directed um, Dallas Buyers Club and yeah, Wild, wild. Uh, is the director of the, is, I believe it's eight episodes. Yeah. Uh, but this is this is the Reese Witherspoon experience, man. It's about um, a few families in Monterey, California, of varying levels of um, on the class spectrum, who all know each other through this. I would say all of them are on one end of the spectrum, and then your girl, your girl, uh, insurgent, is, is a little bit lower. Shailene's working on it, um, and it's set uh, in this in this very rich community, obviously, where there We're is taking views. Yeah, and there's obviously a crime at the center that they are trying to unpack that will slowly unfold over the course of the season. It's so told in, in flashback, uh, and yeah, I mean, this is Reese Witherspoon, Shailene Woodley, Nicole Kidman, mm. Laura Dern, stars, Adam Scott, and Alexander Skarsgård. And Zoe Kravitz. Zoe Kravitz. Um, so I will let you go first because I feel like you, you're yeah. you're teed up. I first of all, um, I bow. Before, I recognize no queen except Reese. Uh, that has not changed. I want to be clear about that. Uh, this show looks beautiful. It has very high production values. I love when John Mark Vallee does the thing where he cuts the, the images of the people doing things that aren't related, but then he cuts them some more. Like that's his sort of that's his shtick. He did that in Wild and Dallas Buyers Club. Like juxtaposes them. He juxtaposes some images of people doing some stuff. Maybe right, a little bit out of that's just editing. <laughs> I love the way his editor does these things. But I think all of the production values and the smart aesthetic choices and the production values and the acting obscures one about essential the values, one, one essential flaw, which is that. This show sucks. This show sucks. It was terrible. I'm shocked, shocked that you enjoyed this. Other than, unless your love for it purely was Reese in Lululemon pants uh, wrecking shop in a Buick. Which, you know, if that's the logline for the show, I'm into it. But I could, I really could not believe that this show, when it started, was just going to be the slap with lens flare. I was shocked. That it is basically, once again, about incredibly entitled people doing incredibly cliche things and trying to mind drama from it. I just find the the foibles of rich private school parents in enclosed communities not that interesting. I just don't find it that interesting. And you know who finds it interesting? Celebrities who send their kids to these schools also. I think that that's limiting about who finds it interesting. 
Tell me more. I'm saying they find it interesting enough so to get this So you're rejecting made. it off of the like socioeconomic makeup because of the it, characters? It's not, so far from one episode in, it, in, it's not satirizing it. It's not actually satire. It wants, to, it's, it winks towards satire that there's something here worth, but you know, that there's something here worth satirizing or poking at or, or exploring, but it's really not. You know, it, it, it's the same problem with the slap where these people were just sort of moaning about things while they were talking about how much vinyl meant to them, but it didn't mean to, it, it wasn't clear, it wasn't clear enough on tone to be funny. So you have Jean-Marc Vallée filming this, you know, like, like he's filming a Malick movie. It's beautiful and the waves and the ocean. And then you have Reese Witherspoon on just on one, just on 11. And then I don't know what anyone else is doing because they're all in different things. And so we have these conversations where it's like, where Laura Dern, when Laura Dern is just like, well, I'm on the board of PayPal now, so that's a whole thing. Okay, that's an interesting choice she's making. And that's a comment. But in the context of the larger show, the show doesn't know what it wants to do with that comment. Is it making fun of it? Is it supporting, supportive of it? And then with the Greek chorus of parents being like, she never should have fallen or else the whole thing, it's just... It's, it was a deeply confused show that was taking itself very seriously on a subject that I don't think deserved it. Yeah, uh, I don't get into the deserve because I think that if you start to use that as a litmus test for television shows, you're just going to have like five television shows. You, you know, like I, I just don't think like why, what makes this any more valid than crashing? You know what I mean? Like, or what makes this any more tone. valid than tone your way into the story? Sure. I mean, I, I think that what happens here is that you're confusing the need for satire with the need for camp. And I do think that it has a good sense of camp. I think that there is moments where they're playing up the sort of caricature nature of what they're doing in a way that's like incredibly uh, knowing, you know what I mean? And even if it isn't necessarily lambasting or skewering this, like these like fat cats living on the mountain, I think that there Which, is a degree by the way, that of would be a bad show too. Yeah, I know. Um, one thing I really liked about this show was the incredibly safe pair of hands that seem to be guiding it. Like I've gone through a lot of watching Man in the High Castle and just being like, I cannot believe how long this episode feels. Even though it says it's 52 minutes, it seems like it's seven yes. times longer than that. Television is not there there might be a finite amount of like people who know how to make television like that the the explosion of content doesn't necessarily equal like the explosion of competency and the one thing you can say about David E. Kelly, which I thought was just really noticeable, was that this thing hummed. It had like a degree of rhythm to it. Like scenes did not go on too long. Like they knew how uh, to cut between different storylines and set up a world in a really economical way. I I just think that I, we, 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 you're, you're everything. This is what I mean. I don't mean to belittle this. Everyone involved in this is a professional who's very, very good at his or her job. I just don't think it's a good match. No, I, and I, I think I, I understand what you're saying. Where you're just like, if you take these four people who are like four of the best people in the world at what they do, Reese, Laura Dern, Shailene Woodley, and Nicole Kidman, and you're just like, you guys are out for replacement level actors, mm -hmm. actresses. You have a, you, you are very close to like absolute car, car crash. But you didn't. You know what I mean? Like, this is what happens when you put Reese Witherspoon in a soap opera. It becomes, like, electric, I think. Yeah, but it's still an electric soap opera. You know, I feel like you, you have what could be, is this an Alexander Payne movie? Like, what is it? What is the tone that it wants to be? Well, okay, what is so the level of engagement you, that it wants to you, have with we, the subject we, matter? A couple weeks ago, we were like, oh, The Good Place, it's like, it gets to have, like, a first season to figure out what it is. Like, can they have, you, you know, th it might just be that this this pilot was shot, they're figuring out the tone, and it they, they well, settle in on it a little bit more. I would disagree only because, I could be wrong, but I would disagree only because um, this is a prestige one-off project that very That's may well point. have been shot, block shot like a movie. I would imagine that it was to sure. accommodate everyone's schedule. So I, I just think it's a mismatch of, 
of subject matter and talent. Like, I just think that Jean-Marc Vallée has made two very fine movies. I think I liked Alice Byers Club. I totally disagree with that. I liked Alice Byers Club fine. (laughs) Okay. I liked Wild fine because of Laura Dern and Reese Witherspoon, who, by the way, played mother and daughter in that movie and are just like frenemies in this one. I I will tell you one thing about his films. I do not get the sense that he has a sense of humor from those films. No, it, those that's, not, why, that's where David E. Kelly comes in. Right, but it's just, it, it's we've talked before about examples of, particularly in movies, where the friction between a screenwriter and a director yeah. can create something interesting. Um, you know, maybe the best example of that is Social Network, where Sorkin and Fincher could not have less in common, but somehow made the best work of their careers exactly. when they worked together. This seems like such a deep mismatch to me. Yeah, and it was, also seems like the kind of thing that was, even though it was a mismatch, was steamrolled due to the talent. Like, like Reese Witherspoon obviously likes Jean-Marc Vallée, sure. so she brought him in on this. She's an executive producer on it. Um, I don't, there is no one in the kitchen in this project who can be like, well, maybe we should make it better this way. Here's my argument for Jean-Marc Vallée. Mm. Is that is it going to be in French? <laughs> no. It's that he is very, uh, he, just the same way he was at making parts of you know 80s dallas into seeming a seemingly romantic environment um even even when it was dealing with like squalor he is the right man for the job for the real estate pornography going on in this show absolutely and the wine pornography and the food porn like everything about like and and i think what you you're right about the tension part and the the fincher sorkin point is really well taken but i think the the thing you have to throw in there is that the reason social network works is because of jesse eisenberg was like born in a lab was created in a lab to say Sorkin dialogue yeah and uh Reese Witherspoon clearly has like a very 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 clear understanding of how she wants Madeline to come off and is capable of it's not in the writing and it's not in the directing it's really her when she's in a kitchen and she's just like I'm gonna start a fight I'm actually gonna act wounded now I'm gonna be that Mm -hmm. like and she is like a wind turbine like it is amazing to watch her like cycle through all these different emotions within like one scene. I think it's like a really, really good performance. I understand exactly what you're saying. I'm not trying to be like, dude, how can you say this? This is like Battleship Potemkin. But it's like, it's like, I find it incredibly entertaining. Now, it's it's a difficult time to be like, I just want something so um, light and airy as this. And then that also has like arcs towards pretense of uh, pretensions about you know being about class or being about the yeah. secrets that we keep or whatever i don't find it i mean to be clear i don't find this i, I don't find this distasteful in our current political sure climate. sure this stuff has always bugged me <laughs> i mean we did but and, and you know we did eight weeks of podcasting about the slap which by the way was so preposterous and it gave us such a good time that you know i almost miss it because this one is done so professionally that even the parts that are worth making fun of are sort of glossy and have been smoothed out and sandpapered. So they're not even really there anymore in the right. same degree. You know, like I, I think this one needs to have a much larger um, influence of Greek, for example. You know, I feel like I feel like Zachary Quinto should be out there. It, it's just stuff like the, the, the other thing that took me out of it was these, this entire show, at least so far, is based on what happens in the school. Right. With, sure. the, with the teacher being like, point out your assailant. Sure. That's not going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, that's just not something that that happens at schools. Maybe in Australia, uh, I don't think it should happen. And then it's super you don't think weird. it might happen in some weird like Monterey Monterey school, like like some like very richly everybody here thinks they're getting something that, for their money. That's and where it, it definitely would not happen in front of other people because that's when they would be lawyered up and know you never 
make a public spectacle of sure. anything. You know, and so then that scene happens, and then like 20 minutes later, someone's like, she probably shouldn't have done that. It's like, <laughs> nadoy, you know? <laughs> like, that, that, that's my Betsy DeVos Board of Ed opinion about that scene. So, yeah, I, 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 just, I, I just found it so... The only thing that I found interesting in it is Reese Witherspoon's okay. performance, which is, as we noted, on one. I mean, <laughs> sometimes you can see, you, you refer to it as a turbine. Yeah. Sometimes, the, you know, I, I've criticized actors like Amy Adams for, quote unquote, showing their work. What I appreciate about Reese Witherspoon is you're not just seeing her work in the character. You see every single bit of energy and blood, sweat and tears she used to take this project yeah. from the proposal slush pile to HBO Sunday night. Like you see the entire just arc of production in every crinkle of her insane eyes. Yeah. So. I respect that. <laughs> What's up with Kidman? Um, I I do feel like she didn't get the note a little bit. Like it, it's a it's a weird performance for her. I actually am I I'm not a particularly I've never been under the Nicole Kidman spell in terms of Me either. her as like a great actress. Except like, for Dead Calm. Um yeah, and I think she's good in, in Eyes Wide Shut and there's things that oh, she yeah, is she good in. That. But like I always feel like she is um petrified at being on screen hmm. like there always seems to be like a little bit of like a stunned nature to her performances mm-hmm. and in some ways that actually works well for the character she has to play in this show but a couple of times during this episode i was like that's nicole fucking kidman i know on I mean, television i mean and maybe she's, she's just gonna... like playing she's like playing like a facilitator in a scene between shailene woodley and reese witherson where she's just like oh yeah what do you think I mean, maybe that's she's so wild, man. Like that's wild that she, that is happening. That she's coming off the bench, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. I mean, maybe she's 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 saving her shot, you know, for later later. It's in the like series. when you know when when a team trades for somebody at the trade deadline, and then they're like, you know, actually, we're not going to play you. So why don't you just like like you just like look good on the sideline for a second? I think um, we before we move on, we should say the greatest decision, the greatest choice made in the show is just the personal grooming of Adam Scott. <laughs> <laughs> to be, he is so perfect as a uh, vinyl collecting yeah. 40 plus. Vice president of the American Cow Neck Association. Just, just douchebag. <laughs> like, just like the way every choice they made for him. Yeah. And then for him to be, uh, our, our old colleague Sam Donsky tweeted, uh, um, is, is has uh, Adam Scott been on too many podcasts to plausibly kiss Reese Witherspoon on screen? No. <laughs> I just think that's the right question. He's asking the right questions, but that's the point of casting him. Uh, let me tell you something. Uh, about Adam Scott. Very, very popular with the women of Los Angeles. Yeah. Are are you talking about our wives in particular? That's fine. (laughs) But even my Adam Scott apologizing wife Uh had some issues with the the relative uh, thickness of the beard versus the thinness of the head hair. But again, like that's that's the point. Like he is an actor. This is his his body and his face are instruments. You know, but... uh, they love that little guy, don't they? They just love him. They love that little bird guy. He's wonderful. You're not mad at all, though. <laughs> About her loving Adam Scott? I love Adam Scott. Yeah. Look, I watched Party Down. I was, in, as, I was as in love with him as I was in love with Lizzie Kaplan. Yeah. Um, okay, well, we'll revisit Big Little Lies a little bit down the road. Does that uh, mean I have to keep watching it? Uh, you know, it's, it's it's a free country, man. I wanted you to start sending me, like, uh, postcards from Monterey. I could do that. Can we just make this thing? <laughs> I think Dobbins could just come in here and hold it down. Like, a... By the way, we have to reiterate on air, our colleague and friend Amanda Dobbins owes us a visit. 
because she has taken issue with some of our, our takes recently. Because well, I thought that the I was surprised that the crown was real. <laughs> because you didn't know that there was a queen <laughs> in England. And apparently I don't recognize that there's a queen in our country uh, named Reese Witherspoon. All right. Uh, let's wrap up by talking a little bit about Crashing. Yes. Um, this is Pete Holmes' show on HBO. It's a half hour comedy and um, is basically about Holmes plays uh, like an aspiring comedian who's been... Um, living off his wife, who's a teacher in sort of the New York suburbs. This is all very much his life. And uh, he comes home one day to find his wife in bed with a guy named Leaf. Yeah. A very, very, very funny performance by the guy who plays Leaf. That may have been lightly fictionalized. Um, and he winds up, you know, being sort of homeless, uh, going into the city and just really pursuing his dreams for lack of a, anything else to do. Uh, crashing is sort of about his f- delayed uh, a you know, adulthood or his delayed sort of entry into the real world. And, uh, you know, it's from Judd Apatow, very much creation of of Holmes, who you've had on your pod before. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's got a very, very interesting tone. I actually have watched a few episodes of this, so I don't want to go too far into Mm -hmm, it other than to say that it gets much better. Mm -hmm. I think the first episode is fine, but it has a lot more to do. Yeah, I think the show is just delightful and really really good and uh i've watched five or six of them um because i found it incredibly fun and pleasurable to do so i think that um what you see i think it's a very good pilot but i mean that with like a lot of the caveats that are attached to pilots it has to get the plot going and also the things that judd apatow brings to this project as the sort of you know the 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 godfather of it and the executive producer are the positive things that he brings to it are really evident in the episodes to come I think the biggest problem with the show is front and center in the pilot, which is that Lauren Lapkus, who is really funny um, and has been in, she's like in Jurassic World and Orange is the New Black, sort of is bent into an uncomfortable shape playing the kind of, um, you know, the the cuckolding wife. Uh, They do more work with her later, but it's kind of a thankless part, at least in the pilot, and sort of a familiar one from a bunch of Apatow things. Uh, Going forward, though, what the show is about, it's not even so much about Pete Holmes's own growth and this is again based very much on his own life and what happened to him but it's really this incredibly effective love letter to comedy as a profession mm-hmm. um, every episode brings a real life guest star basically playing him or herself and uh, Pete has to sort of crash on their couch hence the name of the show and learns about their style their point of view uh, T- uh, Artie Lang in the first one but TJ Miller in the second Sarah Silverman comes on later I think once we get to TJ Miller in the second and third episode the show really takes off because he's just fucking hilarious but also the show does this really amazing thing of articulating something that i think in podcast world and pete holmes obviously has a very successful and very good podcast called you've made it weird we are in this world where comedians are incredibly um front and center both for what they do on stage and the way they talk about life off stage and there's sort of a and i think we even said something about this when we were talking a few weeks ago this role of the comedian is like sort of a, a knight errant, like wandering the world, experiencing things, putting emotions front and center, telling personal stories, processing politics, being on the front lines of all the con- all the conversations and hashtag fights that we're always having on Twitter. Um, this show kind of personalizes it. It makes comedy feel like a very vital, valuable, and worthy uh, art form worthy of respect, especially because the thing that Pete Holmes does that I think is really impressive is he modulates his own comedy so that when we see him on stage in the first few episodes of the show, he's pretty funny. He has some jokes. But as everyone tells him, he's not actually cutting skin. He's not drawing blood. 
Yeah. And that's an interesting distinction to watch develop. So this show has a that thing you do problem. It's not a problem. So it has it has yeah. a that thing you do issue. So in that thing you do, they're this band from Pennsylvania, right? And they write a Beatles-esque pop song that winds up becoming like a regional and I think that no, nas- national yeah. hit. A one-hit um, wonder. The, the issue with doing a movie or a show about something like that is that that song has to be good. By the way, that song is pretty good. And that song is really good. Adam, by Adam Fountains Slesinger, of Wayne. Yeah. yeah. Um, for Pete you, Holmes. Do you remember they asked Bob Pollard to do it first? Did they? They did. There's somewhere, somewhere out there, there is a version of That Thing You Do written by Bob is Pollard. Is it one minute long and it's about UFOs and it was recorded <laughs> with a Fisher Price? Yeah. Okay, so for Pete Holmes and for if you're going to do a show where you're a stand-up comedian and you're a stand-up comedian, the other stand-up comedians are like, you're really talented. It's very, very difficult to find that mm-hmm. level of like, you're right, Pete Holmes in the beginning of this series is like funny and especially funny off stage, but on stage is very awkward and is trying to do lots of like wordplay comedy of like, have you ever noticed that this word is like this? Very gentle bits. Right. And they're very like, they're very vanilla. And it's such a hard thing to do where you're, you're doing any, if you're making art about art to figure out how to represent what the product mm-hmm. is in that. And that's, and that's what I'm talking about. I initially was just like, is this going to be about how this like average comedian keeps getting told he's amazing by like other comedians yeah. like because there's like a really like diff- like that is actually you have to suspend disbelief to some mm-hmm. extent it gets a lot better as the show goes on um i just don't know if they nailed it in the pilot and when i was first watching i was like this is amazing are we really going to pretend like this dude is funny like that this is incredible I, I think he's pretty self-aware about it and i think he his performance is really good too because he's so guileless i mean he's just sort of he's, he's this I, it's not a character nerve. you see I, you see the white man comedian who like has a tough time with his uh, mm-hmm. wife or girlfriend and then winds up everything working out. It's not often that you see such a like babe in the woods who's like kind of like views in, in a very like illicit and kind of dark world, but like maintains a sense of innocence in that world. Except for the young Pope. It's very similar. <laughs> uh, no, but 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 to your point, like, yes, the Pete Holmes character on the show is a is a man child in a way, but he is not like the you know, the Jack Black man child of movies for the last yeah. 15 years. He really is kind of a baby. He came from a, a, a Christian background. Uh, he has a very intense relationship with his mother, as as we see in a later episode. Um, and he's very uh, egoless about that. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's it, it, and in terms of the Apatow connection, like obviously the Rolodex is is pretty deep and he get a lot of people to be on the show. You know, there's an episode where where Pete is out, you know, flyering to get time, and he's surrounded by these young comedians who are young comedians in New York, and they're all just as good as um, Artie Lang is when we see him on stage. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, t- you take a movie like Funny People, which has been pretty much, I think, forgotten. The best parts of, of Judd Apatow's Funny People are when he gets titular Funny People just riffing. Like, generally, that's actually the best part of all Judd Apatow movies is when you just have really wonderful people on screen making each other laugh. And comedians making each other laugh is such an, it, it sort of feels exciting to get to watch it. It's why I like, I, I still ride for comedians in cars getting coffee because the moments of these characters, the characters, people, funny people actually making each other laugh, which is the highest praise, are really, it's really exhilarating to watch. And so this show is about that. It's essentially a chance to peer in on something people care about very deeply, but it's not wedded to the motion picture. We have to solve someone's life in two and a half hours that funny people was. It's just vignettes as a guy tries to put his life together. And also TJ Miller is a titan. 
TJ Miller, just get ready for that episode. Um, okay, so we are going to wrap up now. We're going to do our Oscars preview on Thursday. So if you have Oscars questions, hit us up at the Watch Pod on Twitter. And then are we doing an Oscar show? And then we're doing an Oscars live show. Yes. Uh, I think we'll probably cut in a little bit beforehand and just say hi, but then at, we'll do an after show, much like the one we did with the Emmys and the Globes. With, yeah. uh, we'll have special guests for that. Um, until then, top off your Chardonnay, bro. Welcome back to TV, Baranski. Thanks to CrowdCow for sponsoring today's episode. CrowdCow lets you buy the very best beef from happy cows raised on the open pastures of small, sustainable ranches without any growth hormones or growth-stimulating antibiotics. You can't find premium dry-aged beef like this anywhere else, including high-end supermarkets or specialty stores. And for our listeners, you can get $10 off your first order when you go to crowdcow.com watch. That's crowdcow.com watch.